Welcome to Think Smart, Feel Smart, Live Smart. I'm V. Vincy, Registered Counselor, Relationship and Family Therapist and Founder of Headquarters Counselling Services. This podcast aims to break down the overwhelm of life and equip you with a toolbox of knowledge, tips and tricks to help you live your best life. This raw, real and unproduced podcast uses audio taken from my weekly live broadcast in the HQCS Community Facebook group. You can find a link to the community in the episode notes. It's free to join. Now let's get started. So I help people find clear direction using honesty, simplicity and humour to break down any overwhelm that you've got. I help equip you with a toolbox of skills and knowledge to drive you to take ownership of your circumstances, which propels you forward with clarity and confidence. Where are we at in our sequence? Well, we have pretty much covered a whole range of what happens in a crisis by actually living the crisis. And that's been absolutely amazing for me. I try not to get as excited, but you know, people are all thinking that 2020 is really shit, and in some ways it is. But for me, I actually like this. This is generational change, people. We are in history. We are in a moment of history. Now, what I think is really bloody special is that almost all the topics, bar one, have been in the order that I wrote them back in March, even tonight's one. So what's interesting about this one is that I thought if this craziness continues, for a significant amount of time. And at the time I sort of thought, oh, you know, if we go from March to September, you know, that's a six month period. If it continues for six months, we are seriously gonna start to see a lot of problems for people physically. Now, you might think that WA has gotten off lightly in regard to this, and to a degree it has, but not necessarily for everybody. And in fact, whilst WA has certainly had a bit of an easy ride in terms of the medical aspects to COVID, it hasn't necessarily been an easy ride back. What is happening right now is that business especially is still teetering on the edge. So what have they done? Well, what they have done is bring back fewer people but still with the same workload and sometimes even more of a workload. And guess what? Pressure, commonly referred to as stress. So we are going to be looking at stress for a couple of weeks, but not your average stress talk, certainly not tonight. I'm going to be looking at the mind-body connection. What negative emotions actually do to the body when we, one, don't recognise what's happening, and two, don't do anything to change it. So over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at the symptoms of stress, the different types of stress, the difference between stress and anxiety. There is a difference. And finally, we've got to talk about healthy stress. You can't have no stress in life. We must have an element of stress. It's the difference between toxic stress and healthy stress that I want to help you become more aware of. So tonight's topic, let's start, effects of negative emotions on the body. You know, I've spent an enormous amount of time over these last three, six months highlighting negative emotions, what they do, their benefit for us, the importance of having them, the importance of accepting them and acknowledging them, right? But the effect of them on the body is pretty huge. So awareness of the mind-body connection is by no means new. 
Until approximately 300 years ago, virtually every system of medicine throughout the world treated the mind and body as a whole. But during the 17th century, the Western world started to see the mind and body as two distinct entities. So in this view, the body was kind of like a machine, complete with replaceable, independent parts with no connection whatsoever to the mind. The Western viewpoint of this had, had definite benefits, acting like the foundation for, well, it acted as the foundation for advances in surgery. Trauma care, pharmaceuticals, and other areas of medicine. However, it also greatly reduced the scientific inquiry into the human's emotional and spiritual life and downplayed the innate ability for the body to heal and to know what it needs to heal itself. Okay, now round my words out. I'm not taking away from medical stuff, but I'm talking about healing in terms of emotional stuff. Remember, there's there's physical, mental, and emotional components to ourselves. And we need to be able to heal from all of them. Medicine has made physical healing an absolute godsend. But the other components aren't necessarily uh, an external fix. If that was the case, I'd be a fucking millionaire. But I'm not because I don't have the magic bloody wand that can fix all the stuff that's happened to you or that you think about consistently. Okay, now that's where the body and the mind are, the connection is. The connection between your mind and body is so powerful. And although it cannot be visually seen, the effects your mind can have on your physical body are profound. And research continues to provide proof of this. And as such, the field of neuroscience was born. And I've got to say, you know, I'm never a scientific girl, but I do have a lot of basis in science when it comes to mental health. And neuroscience is seriously one of my new favorite things. It's not new, but it is certainly my favorite thing because it really focuses on this mind-body connection and I love it. Now, we can have an overall positive mental attitude and deal directly with our internal challenges. And in turn, this creates a healthy lifestyle. Or... We can be consistently negative, have self-destructive thoughts and not deal with our internal issues and possibly even cover those issues with affirmations and positivity without finding the root. And in turn, we can create an unhealthy lifestyle. Why is this? Well, our emotions and our experiences are essentially energy and they can be stored in the cellular memory of our bodies. Now, just think muscle memory in exercise or sport. This is not just mumbo jumbo anymore, guys. This is actually, neuroscience can actually tell us what cells store memory, emotional memory, physical memory. Have you ever experienced something in your life that has left an emotional mark or pain in a certain area of your body? It's almost as if you can still feel something that may have happened to you. You, you probably have. When you have a pain, tightness, or injuries in certain areas, it can often be related to something emotionally you are feeling within yourself. Now, at first glance, it may not seem this way because we are usually very out of touch with ourselves and our emotions in this fast-paced world. But there's no denying the physical manifestation of these symptoms, and it often leads us to ask, what do you deal with first? In reality, 
The answer is not simple. For example, we know that most eating disorders are a sign of severe mental and emotional health disorders, but we often can't deal with the emotional and mental side because the physical symptoms are so severe that death is likely. So what comes first? In our current medical model, it would be physical. And having dealt with this as a professional, the ability to help someone look at their mental and emotional issues when they are not physically able is almost impossible. And so I completely agree with the medical model. However, I think we need to have a look at this with different eyes simply because our current medical system has been struggling under the strain of mental health and physical health for many, many years without adding the significant mental and emotional impacts of COVID, which are going to be enormous and are going to be felt for a very long time to come. Now, do not take my words out of context here. I am not telling you to stop all your meds and go vegan for God's sake. What I'm offering, like most things that I have talked about, is a deeper, varied view of what I have witnessed in both my professional and my personal life. And I think that the personal side here is probably more important. So I'm going to share some stuff that, you know, I don't normally, but I really want you to have a look at, this is not a, you know, one size fits all on any, on any level. It's just looking at a different view, okay? So some of you will know that my son currently receives treatment for a life-threatening illness. He is amazing and I have no doubts that he will be around to live out his amazing life. But his treatment regime and his illness bring him into a completely medical model which does not even look at or even entertain any natural mind-body connection approach. It just doesn't do it. Now, until you enter a world like this, it's impossible to know what you would do as a parent. And I have witnessed many a family member die from illnesses, cancer included, and often the treatment of the disease appears worse than the disease itself at times. Now, I've been guilty of sprouting. I would never wish that upon someone until you are faced with that choice. Even I've even been saying to myself, there's no way that I would put myself under that um that sort of treatment regime, blah, blah, blah. I'd check myself out. That's the crap that I say sometimes. But there's no way in hell I was not going to give my son every medical chance there was. However, I also wanted to do a blend, and this is where my view comes from. The models are so far apart that the middle road is certainly not paved. And in fact, it literally is desert-like. We've had to navigate that road ourselves and find the balance between medical and a holistical model, which, can I say, is a pretty good road. And by holistic, I am not talking crazy batshit stuff out there. I'm literally talking complete nutrition, emotional work to support physical healing, mindset work, and you know what, bucking the system a little in terms of the cotton wool wrapping that the system wants. It's not something offered by any major medical system in terms of hospitals. This is what I'm talking about, a blend of both worlds. It's becoming more open, but I often find that any holistic or natural approach on its own can be just in bad in terms of my way is the best way. I've had companies who will not deal with us simply because we are using a medical treatment model. 
In my world, too much is as bad as too little. So neither end of the scale is great. What we're looking for is balance. And even that is different for different people. So my balance would be different to yours. I completely believe that the more we address the unconscious thought patterns and emotions throughout our bodies as well as our mind, we treat the physical symptoms. The, and the more we treat those physical symptoms, the more aligned we will be. It's all about learning and, and a growing process. We don't have to judge or fear and cannot be done without each other. They must work in tandem. I think this is where Western medicine came in and it pulled apart what was actually a really good system working with it together. The existence of the mind-body connection was once completely shunned by mainstream science and with many dismissing it as pseudoscience. But fortunately, conversations have shifted in recent years, thanks in large, in part to the new scientific publications that have made it quite clear that our thoughts, feelings and emotions play a crucial role in regulating our overall health and biology. So I'm going to give you a little bit of science in this because what one of the big things I find uh, working with people every day in some capacity for either a mental health space or a space of crisis where they come in and something's happened and they don't understand it, we are far more educated now. Neuroscience plays a really huge part in helping people understand that what's happening to them physically can be triggered by a thinking it's our fear response mechanism it's the little button in the back of our brain that turns on and when you help people understand and you connect the dots for them scientifically it helps them go yep okay i'm going to work with this it works together and that's what i like so some of the most intriguing research in this field comes from the Health Math Institute, right? Now their research has shed light on a number of fascinating discoveries about how emotions can impact our health. Through their work and the work of others, we know that positive emotions create physiological benefits to your body and negative emotions can do the opposite. We've all seen it. You can simply boost your immune system by conjuring up positive emotions it helps the fighting cells everything works together the heart actually has a system of neurons which have both short-term and long-term memory and these signals are sent to the brain which in turn affect our emotional experiences science has made some absolutely stunning discoveries when it comes to the role of the mind in controlling our biology one of the biggest studies that's come about is epigenetics, which is the study of changes in cells. And it's shown us that genes and DNA do not control our biology, but rather DNA is controlled by signals from outside of the cell, which includes messages that stem from our thoughts. This is a classic nature versus nurture question. Research is showing that nurture can turn nature's cells on or off depending on what is going on. It's almost a form of self-protection. So if you think about children who have, you know, are in really shit families or circumstances where you have had a traumatic uh, event, the form of self-protection, we turn everything off. So it would stand to reason that cells can turn off. It turns off the very thing that can hurt us. The amazing thing about this is that epigenetics are reversible. 
And that means if it can be turned off, it can be turned on. And guess what? We actually have something that has been going on for years that probably proves this fact, the placebo effect. The placebo, placebo effect is essentially the biology of belief. It can be demonstrated in a number of different ways and there are some pretty fascinating uh, studies regarding the placebo effect. And one looked at surgery for patients with severe knee pain. We're not even talking about major trauma here. We're basically talking about tears. So many surgeons know there is a placebo effect in surgery, or most of them believe it. They might not tell you, but they do believe that. And for the study, patients were divided into three groups. The surgeons shaved the damaged cartilage in the knee from one group. For the second group, they flushed out the knee, removing all of the material believed to be causing the inflammation. Both of these processes are standard for people who have severe knee problems. The third group received a fake surgery. So the patients were sedated and tricked into thinking that they had actually undergone knee surgery. For those patients, the doctors made incisions and splashed salt water on the knee as they would in normal surgery. Then they sewed up the incisions like the real thing. All three groups went into the same rehab process and the results were astonishing. The placebo group improved just as much as the other two groups had. The surgeon involved in the study stated that his skill as a surgeon had no benefit on these patients at all and that the entire benefit of surgery was for the knee was the placebo effect. Now that is pretty amazing and we've known about the placebo effect for a very long time. In fact, as a parent, most of us have used it on our kids Oh, that's all right, darling, go get a Band-Aid. Mummy will make it feel better. Band-Aid does nothing, but they think it does because we've told them a Band-Aid will fix everything. That's in its most basic form. So how and why is this happening? With exposure to stress or trauma, the automatic nervous system comes under direct fire. It is comprised of the sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight response, and the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and restore point. The system for um, the sympathetic nervous system is the adaptive system. It's designed to protect the body when there is a perceived threat to survival or body integrity. So when the response is activated, adrenaline and cortisol levels increase dramatically. The body is basically prepared to fight or run from danger. If fleeing or fighting is impossible, the body is prepared to freeze. And it does this by the individual becoming numb and disengaged. I call this nature's anesthetic, which is pretty cool. The individual may faint, time feels like it's gonna stop, or sometimes we have something which we call derealization, which theoretically prepares the body for camouflage for camouflage. It increases its chances for survival through compliance. Okay, so it creates conditions that allows us to just blend. This is where people, if you're being attacked, you just do nothing. It's almost like you want to do, well, if I don't do anything, they may, I may become invisible and they may leave me alone. Flawed, but it's what the body does. The body is an awesome thing. I love it. Clearly, the stress response is absolutely critical for survival. The problem comes when 
the it's stimulated it's stimulated too often harmful effects occur to the body because the automatic stress response is triggered in the same way both physically and emotionally so people who continually perceive danger in their environment will produce a constant automatic response of alertness so this could range from mere vigilance or hypervigilance to absolute terror whether the individual has actually been exposed to a traumatic event or is only experiencing ongoing stress doesn't matter either way the automatic nervous system response causes serious damage to the individual's health and that's the kicker here ongoing stress is chronic stress chronic stress kills and we are back to our original question what do we tackle first I think the above has shown that the answer may be both it's a bit like what comes first the chicken or the egg and I always answer to that who fucking cares start with what you can and this is what I love the three things we only ever have control of is our thoughts our emotions and our actions so start there. There is a number of mind-body charts that you can find that will give you a rundown of what parts of the body are affected by different types of stress. I'm not going to post them because really, for me, it's not about the charts. It's about a shift in thinking to ask yourself, can I look at my internal world so that my external world can change? Remember, physical symptoms are part of the external world, which is why we get external people, doctors, to look at them. Start tackling them from your end as well. If I'm going to say anything about um, mind-body charts or books on this, Louise Hay wrote the book on mind-body connection and the physical manifestations from what she terms to be emotional problems. So if there's anything you want to have a look up at, check her out. She's got a little book called, well, the original book was called The Little Blue Book. It's now called Heal My Body. Take it and leave it, right? There's a little bit, you know, you can take some of it. Don't take this as, oh, my God, this uh, knee, what knees represent ego, right? Don't sit there and go, oh, my God, it must be my ego. Ask yourself, does it fit? You will know if it fits. Just have a look at it. It's an open discussion. Now, I am going to, however, give you a really quick rundown of the major telltale signs of the body being in chronic stress. And this is where you will probably relate to this, and I get a lot of people that come to me. So one of the first things that you will notice from chronic stress, damage to memory. So many people say to me, I just can't remember things. And I go, oh, I think they must be stressed. I haven't looked. Are they in stress? Because the hormones of adrenaline and cortisol, they're released during stressful times. The problem with chronic stress is that they're like a freaking tap. They constantly release. They literally soak the parts of the brain involved in memory and response to stress. So excessive or repetitive activation of this response results in long-term changes to memory and this is something i hear often i can't remember things all right now number two there's an increased response to stimuli that's basically that you're more reactive to things around you than normal and that's in part because of the hypervigilance. so people exposed to intense or prolonged trauma or stress 
they have more intense physiological responses to stress. So something that may trigger a mid-stress response will be out of context and abnormally higher, resulting in mental and emotional questions as well. So for example, you would not believe how many people come into me worried that they are crazy. They think that this hypervigilance or this inability to turn off the thoughts in their head is that they're crazy. The reality is crazy people don't ask me if they're crazy. They don't think they're crazy. The other time, well, the other thing that happens is that people respond to loud noises, strong odours or flashes of light as a fear response is abnormally high under stress circumstances because it stimulates the flight or fight. So each time and someone is re-stressed, the sensitivity to the response is increased and so is their vulnerability to anxiety and depression. All right, now, number three, this is something I literally deal with on a daily basis, especially no more so than COVID. Self-soothing is disrupted, okay? So during the first three years of life, the brain growth is predominantly in the right hemisphere of your brain. That's the right side. It processes nonverbal signs and communications, including facial expressions. It's a part of the brain that helps with feelings, perception of emotion and regulation. It's the, you know, the creative side of our brain, I suppose, if you, if you think. If a child is exposed to significant stress during this time, the critical function of self-soothing is unable to develop properly. But similarly, under chronic stress conditions, self-soothing is the first thing that becomes compromised. It's why we looked at distress tolerance at the beginning um, of these topics. Self-soothing is critical for stress management. Number four, brain function is inhibited. Now, it all sounds like big words, but really, what this is talking about is that the brain function that becomes inhibited, inhibited is the ability to think logically, to plan, to problem solve before reacting. Language is also effective. We, we just go, I don't know what to say. We have this tongue-tied uh, space. This is often the reason why people actually need help going through a process of stress because their ability to think logically about it to feel safe and plan and problem solve and speak becomes compromised. That's that's a that's a um, a result of long term chronic stress. Now, one thing I am not talking about is post traumatic stress disorder. This sounds very similar, but it is very different. You may have symptoms of PTSD, and that will absolutely require more specialized treatment if you have PTSD. What I'm talking about here is that chronic stress creates PTSD-like symptoms, all right? And chronic stress does not bring an automatic sentence of post-traumatic stress disorder. But we know that ongoing exposure to cortisol and stress will lead to more severe mental health problems, okay? Now, what I hope I have left you with is a mindset that will explore how focusing on your, how your state of mind affects your body. That's what I want you to have a look at. How does my state of mind affect my body? And if you can't think about that, 
Ask yourself, what is my body telling me? Where am I feeling things in my body? And I wonder what that would be related to in my brain. You'd be surprised at the answer that may come up. Whatever, you've got to have a think about this. What, wherever thought travels, a chemical travels with it. That's science. That's how our body works. The chemicals in your body are then affected by your thoughts. So this means that who you are on the inside affects who you are on the outside. And this means that your state of mind and level of inner awareness has the power to impact and improve you physically. That's a big topic. And you know what? This is one topic I want you to go back and re-listen to it. Because when you listen to this, it's something that needs, it's been out of the realm for a very long time. And we're starting to bring it together. We need to go back to mind-body connection. We need it to be science-based. We don't need any airy-fairy bullshit to go with it because people turn off for that. We're bringing it together with science. It's super, super important. Next week, we're going to have a look at stress and the symptoms, okay? So they're the things that can show up, but there are certain symptoms that are there. And this is the sort of one one of these, um, it's a topic that I deliver for workshops and uh, for corporate workshops. So I'm going to give you a little bit of an insight into the stress stuff that we talk about in there, okay? So looking forward to seeing you then. Have a good night. I am definitely not keeping you longer tonight. See ya.